I have two basic rules in life. I don't like to get cold, and I don't like to get wet. So you can imagine how thrilled I was when I found myself on a snorkeling excursion in Mexico on my honeymoon with Michelle. Look at how young and cute we are. So it will be 21 years ago next month. So, Well, I am not a swimmer. My go-to stroke is the good old-fashioned doggy paddle. And I've failed more swimming classes than I've ever passed. But you can't say no to your brand new wife, and so off we went. And the first part of the trip went really well. We were on this beautiful catamaran, enjoying the sunshine and food and the scenery, sailing eight miles out to a cove where we were going to go look at the little fishies. Well, I love the ocean. I love being by the water. I love being on the water. I love boats. I could have stayed there all day, happy and content, dry and warm. And then we arrived. Everyone started getting ready to jump off the boat and into the water to go look at the fishies. There's Michelle looking all happy there. And not going to lie, I started freaking out a little bit at this point, knowing I'm about to jump into the water and my feet cannot touch the ground. But it's my honeymoon and there's no way I'm going to tell Michelle that she has married a coward. So, like anyone would do in my situation, I faked it. I pretended like I knew what I was doing, I put on my snorkeling gear, jumped into the water, and realized almost immediately that something is not right. Water began pouring into my eyes and my nose and my mouth. I couldn't see, I couldn't breathe. I remember thinking, is this how it's supposed to be? I thought that snorkeling gear was to enable you to see underwater, to breathe underwater, so you can enjoy this incredible, relaxing, beautiful, peaceful environment. And now, I'm going to drown. I'm going to die on my honeymoon. At that moment, I started to panic and flail. Lots of flailing of arms and legs wasn't pretty until I felt these other arms and legs wrap themselves around me, surrounding me. And Michelle was right there and she grabbed hold of me and she looked me straight in the eyes and she said, It's okay. Just breathe. I'm here. She was this calming presence in the moment of my fear and panic. And then she started to laugh. <laughs> because she realized that when I was on the boat and was faking it and put my snorkeling mask on, I didn't realize that this little nose piece is supposed to actually go over your nose. <laughs> and no one had told me that. I just kind of threw it on and panicked. And so that's why all the water was coming in as soon as I went under. Well, once we had that little problem fixed and Michelle had stopped laughing, we were able to actually go out and enjoy the experience. So I know it's a funny story and I can laugh at it now, thank goodness. But here's the real point. Michelle's calming words, her calming actions and presence came at just the right time. They allowed me to feel safe and secure and at peace in the moment that I needed it most. 
Well, we're continuing our series on the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we're exploring all of these different images of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And this week, we're going to talk about peace, and specifically how peace is connected to our identity, who we are. And we've already begun singing about it as well. We're going to look at a well-known Bible story, but I think there is something that we can pull from it today. And so Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 9, says these words, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. He was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Well, this story marks the beginning point for Jesus' public ministry. It is from this moment onwards that his journey is going to lead him to the cross and to his resurrection. And it's set in motion for the first time here in front of human eyes and witnesses. And Jesus gets baptized, not to be cleansed of sin because he's sinless, but he's doing it as an action forward to let us know, to let people know of a sign that is to come, that through his work and actions, he is going to take away the sin of the world. So it's this hugely significant moment and event that's happening. And as Jesus comes up out of the water, the Spirit comes down upon him in this form of a dove. And Jesus is empowered by the Spirit and given these beautiful words of affirmation from his Heavenly Father. Well, that's the framework for the story, but obviously there's a lot more going on. One of the first things that really jumps out for me here is this image of a dove. Why in this moment does this imagery, this dove, show up? Well, the dove is actually one of the most frequently mentioned birds in the Bible. And just as it's used as a symbol today at the Olympics or at weddings, the dove is often associated with peace, with humility and gentleness. As just one example Noah sends out a dove from, uh, from the ark in order to go and discover dry land. And that dove returns to him with an olive branch in her beak. It's this picture of finding peace in a new creation. But why would you need an image of peace here at Jesus' baptism? Why lean into that particular image? And I've been thinking about this question a lot as I've been preparing this message Although the text doesn't say it explicitly, I think this connection to peace must give us some clues as to what Jesus must have been feeling in this moment. Jesus is fully God. We know that. But he's also fully human. And that means that he must have experienced while on earth the same types of uncertainties and fears and doubts that we face in our lives. We know that the night before his crucifixion, Jesus prays to his father, asking that this task would somehow be taken away from him. Jesus is overwhelmed to the point of literally sweating blood. He's in anguish. He's experiencing real emotions and feelings and thoughts. And so it's not improbable to think that at the start of Jesus' ministry, he might also be faced with fears and anxieties and questions, maybe this unsettledness of what he's about to step into. And so I think this image and this tangible expression of peace coming into this story at the start is this reminder and promise that the Holy Spirit is going to be with him for the journey. 
Well, we're told that the heavens are ripped open. They are torn open. And it's an interesting word here. It's the same word that is used the moment that Jesus dies and the curtain in the temple is also ripped open. It's as if heaven is marking this occasion to say, pay attention, sit up, take notice. And then we read that the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus out of this torn space in the heavens, but not as a conquering eagle, not as a powerful bird of prey. The movement of the Spirit is described as a dove. In other words, this gentle, peaceful presence that comes and flutters and hovers around him. Does that sound familiar? It should because it brings us back again to Genesis chapter 1 in the beginning of the biblical story. I know I talked about this a lot in my last sermon on the Holy Spirit is when, but I want to briefly revisit again with a slightly different angle and emphasis. In the opening words of Genesis, we see that the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep waters. I want you to notice that word hovering. It's only used twice in the Bible, but it's this imagery of a mother bird who is hovering over her nest and her young. In fact, some Jewish rabbis even translate the verse to reflect that where they say the spirit of God moved on the face of the waters like a dove. Not only that, the word that is used for spirit is in the feminine form, even though God transcends gender. But it adds this other beautiful, rich layer to it. She was fluttering and hovering over the deep waters like a mother bird over her nest and her young. Well, I think there's something significant here to be said of the spirit hovering over deep waters. This picture, this experience of uncertainty, of turbulence, of feeling overwhelmed, and yet it is precisely at that moment and environment that the spirit brings her presence and peace hovering in that space. Something new is being birthed, this new creation, this new life is coming into being. Well, the early Christians saw this connection between Genesis 1 and Jesus' baptism because in all four accounts of Jesus' baptism, the word dove is feminine. The writers could have used different words here, and yet they chose to lean into the same imagery and language that's found in Genesis 1. The same spirit that is hovering over creation, she is the same spirit who now comes as a dove over and onto Jesus. She's this beautiful peaceful presence that comes. Well, I don't know about you, but I need that type of image and truth in my own life. Because we all wrestle with fears and anxieties and worries. We all have places and moments that feel uncertain. We all have places that bring up questions for us, maybe even doubts. And maybe you're wrestling through one of those types of experiences and realities right now. Maybe it feels like there are turbulent waters that are swirling around you, overwhelming you in all sorts of ways. I want you to lean into that reality here today. That the promise, the hope, the gift of the Holy Spirit is to come and to hover over us, to be with us in the moment we're in, bringing peace into those places, bringing new life and breath into our lives right now. So how do we lean into that reality? 
Well, I think the answer is found in what happens next at Jesus' baptism. In the words that God speaks over Jesus, and by extension to the words that he speaks over each of our lives today. Jesus hears these words coming from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am fully pleased. I want you to stop and to think about those words for just a moment. Before Jesus does a single thing, before Jesus preaches his first sermon, before Jesus does his first miracle, his father declares his true identity to him. And it becomes this defining and awakening moment in Jesus' life. You are my beloved son and I am fully pleased. Not in what you've done or will do, not because of what you have or what you will achieve, but because you are my beloved child, full stop. And so we have the spirit coming as a dove and as a reminder of God's presence hovering. And now we have these beautiful words of affirmation that connect because peace is linked to identity. Peace comes as we hold on to this reality and truth that we are beloved children of God, sons and daughters of God, part of God's own family. But when we're not rooted there, it can cause all sorts of upheaval and anxiousness and disruption and non-peace. I'm convinced one of the reasons why we don't experience deep, lasting peace in our lives is because we have chosen to live from the wrong identity. There are so many pressures and expectations that we face or we accept or we choose to believe or that others will speak over us that are all trying to lay claim to our identity, who we are. Maybe we try to define ourselves by what we have or by what we don't have or by what we do or don't do or because we may be successful or famous or because we have failed miserably. For many of us, even in the midst of apparent success, it doesn't create in us this deep sense of lasting peace because we realize very quickly that we need to get up the next day and then the next day and to do it all over again, but this time we need to do it better or we need to do it more. And it can create all sorts of inner angst and anxiety and even fear deep inside of us. I'll always remember the day when the truth about identity first really came to life for me. I was in university at the time and I've shared parts of my story in previous messages, so I won't go into all the details other than to set up the context that I was a top academic student in my, in my program. And for me, it was all about achievement and success, grades, recognitions, opportunities, you name it. And the more that those things came to me, the more I craved it, the more I wanted it, the more I was driven by it. Until the day I got back one of my exams. I had scored 103 you weren't expecting that, were you? <laughs> I had aced the exam. And not only that, I had picked up extra marks with some bonus questions. And I was happy. I was ecstatic. I was content about this for about three seconds. Because I realized I had messed up one of the bonus questions and I could have actually scored higher. I remember leaving class that day mad, disappointed at myself, 
agitated, not feeling any sense of peace or contentment inside of me because I could have done better. I should have done better. And then it was like the Holy Spirit just stopped me dead in my tracks. And I remember thinking, how stupid is this? You're not even satisfied and content and at peace in your life after getting more than 100%. You're not even satisfied with perfection. It's like a giant weight just hit me on my head and jolted me awake. That my identity will never be satisfied with what I accomplish or earn or do, even if it scores off of the charts, even if it's better than 100%. It will never satisfy me. It will never bring me lasting peace. My only hope, the only way I can ever experience the fullness and gift of the Holy Spirit's peace in my life is to lean into my true identity, that I am first and foremost a beloved child of God. And that can never change. I am loved by God with no strings attached. I don't need to prove anything by what I accomplish or don't accomplish. My worth, my value, my identity isn't based on my achievements as good as those might be. And they're not based on my failures as big as those might be. It's not based on what I have or don't have. It's not based on my best days. It's not based on my worst days. My identity is rooted and grounded in God's absolute love for me with no strings attached. All I need to do is to believe that reality, to accept it, to lean into it, and to live from that place of freedom and peace. And boy, does that change everything. Well, that's an example coming out of success and achievement. But what if you're experiencing something at the other end of the spectrum? How do you lean into identity when you are living in a place of perhaps fear, non-peace? So I've been living in that reality a lot over these last number of months, especially this last year where for literally days and weeks on end, I would wake up every morning in fear about how the day might unfold. I'd wake up feeling paralyzed by fear and worry and uncertainty. I would try to control what was happening around me and inside of me, but realized I couldn't. And then last fall, I was meeting with my trauma counselor. I began sharing with her what I was feeling and walking through. And she suggested that I find some type of mantra or phrase or word that I could tell myself each morning as I got up. So I spent some time thinking about it. And honestly, I know it was the Holy Spirit hovering in my life that brought a story suddenly to mind. And it's one of the stories from C.S. Lewis' wonderful series called The Chronicles of Narnia. And I was reminded of a character in the story named Reepicheep. Kind of ironic because I am petrified of rodents. Guess that's another rule. But he is this brave and courageous little hero mouse in the adventure. And at one point, he finds himself heading into this dark, foggy mist on his little boat. And there's this heavy sense of fear and uncertainty and worry of what he's about to walk through. But then he says these three beautiful words. Courage, dear heart. 
I hadn't thought about that story in years. And yet, the moment that that phrase, courage, dear heart, came to my mind, it connected. And I knew that they were the words that my heart absolutely needed. Words of courage and affirmation, words of hope and love, words that I knew were connected to my identity as a beloved child of God. And because I am loved by God, and that's the very core of who I am, I knew I could trust the Holy Spirit's presence in the moment and situation and experience I was in. And so every day I would get up, and that would be the first thing I would do. I would begin speaking those words, courage, dear heart, before my feet hit the floor. I would allow them to come over me. And that daily affirmation began changing me. So I began to feel and sense God's presence, his peace in my life. In some of Jesus' final words to his disciples, he says to them, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. And the Apostle Paul writes these words, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Where do you find yourself today? If you're not feeling a lot of peace in your life right now, or maybe you're feeling unsettled, maybe even some fear, I want to encourage you to come back to this identity piece and to ask yourself this question, which identity am I leaning into and living from? Which identity am I living from? Which identity am I believing? Because it just may give a clue as to what's happening in your life and why you might be feeling the way that you're feeling. Bring your life to God. Bring your list, your situation, your fears, your experience to God. Maybe it's one major thing. Maybe it's a bunch of little things. But bring those worries and fears and uncertainties and unsettledness to Jesus. It could be as simple as saying, Jesus, I'm struggling in this right now. Or I'm not sure what to do about this particular thing. Or I'm just, I'm scared. I feel like I can't even move. Tell Jesus where you're at, what you're feeling. He's not surprised. He can't be caught off guard. And then ask. Ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit's presence, to come surround you and hover you. Ask to be filled with his peace. And keep leaning into your true identity, that you are a beloved son and daughter of God. You don't need to prove anything. You don't need to do anything. You are loved not because of your greatest accomplishment or your worst failure. You are loved because you are God's child. I began this message with my snorkeling story and how Michelle's presence and words and actions came and brought peace and presence into the moment when I needed it most. 
I want you to take that image with you this week. Keep reminding yourself that the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life the same way. The Holy Spirit wants to speak those words to you today. It's okay. Just breathe. I'm here with you. The Spirit is with us even in the deep waters of life. Hovering, touching, being with us in the moment we find ourselves in. And to also know that words of peace and love are being spoken over each one of us right now. Would you close your eyes with me? Take a deep breath in and exhale. Allow your thoughts to come back to Jesus. And for just a moment, I want you to allow your mind to go to where the Holy Spirit may be leading you right now. Maybe it's to tell him a fear or a worry or a situation that you're walking through. Maybe it's to thank him for a recent experience that he has led you through. But whatever your moment is, your story is, your situation is, bring it to him. And ask to be filled in this moment with his presence, his spirit, to come to fill you, to give you peace. Ask him to continue to show you what it means to be a beloved son and daughter and child of his. And now, may the peace and love of the Holy Spirit come in a new way into your life. May you rest in the hope and affirmation that you are a beloved child of God.